get off your horse and drink your milk. Tell me this, am I Gregory Peck, right? Or, I, or am I Omar Sharif in this one? You're more like Omar God. <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, we're talking about McKenna's Gold today. Well, uh, our version of McKenna's Gold. We, we were talking about Henry McKenna. Now, the, there is this connection between uh, people from, from Ulster, or the, the north of Ireland up here, and Irish whiskey. But the, some, of the, some of the connections are a little tenuous at times. Um, it's more of a cultural thing when it went to the U.S., there aren't that many uh, bourbon makers, or certainly famous bourbon makers, who have their heritage here. For you know, for example, Jack Daniels, but one of them is Henry McKenna, who was born in Draperstown. He was born in Draperstown High Street, and this little book—it's um, not a big book, and it's it's probably quite hard to come by, but I got it in the Ulster Scots Resource Centre up in Belfast, and it was put together. And I say put together because it's a collection of different bits and pieces by the Ballin Ascreen uh, Historical Society. So if you go on there, you can on their website, and I'm sure we'll put the link on, and uh, you can have a look and see if you want to buy it. It's not that dear. It was like £10 or something. Now, um, tell us a little bit more about this guy, Henry McKenna, because he was actually born in 1819, so just over 100 years ago. So there's, there's going to be people about today that knew him i would imagine 200 years ago justin i can't even count marty that's no. a good that's a good one <laughs> <laughs> I, I still think i'm a young slip of a lad and there's people uh, that remember that no nobody's that old nobody's that old no, nobody's that old you can tell it is a scripted <laughs> Yeah, it's nearly <laughs> as good as GB News is. <laughs> right. Oh no, we've got much better production values than GB News. Uh, yeah, the sounds <laughs> a bit better. But uh, <laughs> listen, awful, awful. so so it, it, he managed to get to America. He, he obviously didn't go on a coffin ship. He managed to get to America and he settled in Kentucky in eighteen thirty eight, where he owned a flour mill in Fairfield. Yeah, he he opened up a flour mill. Um and. It's not really known where he got his distilling background or where how he came up with the distilling, but chances are he probably knew some some distillers back back home. Um, but there's a, there's another little story to that too, and he, he started off he got a job with a, a Colonel Merrifield to start building highways, and uh, so he'd learned road construction and sort of civil engineering if you like. But he opened the mill in eighteen fifty five, and and oh, sorry, he opened the mill, and then by eighteen fifty five, he had become uh, a distiller. So it was a way of upscaling, uh, upscaling, and adding value to to the, the product that he was already doing. He was milling. But, but a lot of Irish people started out as navvies in America. Yeah, and the, a lot of farmers um, had their own home still, and um, that that was. Common, certainly common in in Kentucky, and probably quite common in in rural Ireland at the time too. There would have been, obviously, some problems with uh, the excise men and, and the, the 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 revenue men at the time, but they would still, you know, there was a communal, uh, moonshine potchine, whatever it is, ethos that travelled from Ulster across to the U.S. And it's, I mean, you can still sort of see that today. Um, one thing that sort of echoes 
the Jack Daniels story. Um, the Jack Daniels story, they had Uncle Nearest, who was really the guy who, he was the first master distiller of Jack Daniels that's been now recognised as. Um, well, Henry McKenna did the same thing. He, he had, a, he had a, a, a... In the book, it talks about uh, an old an old black man. He's probably a slave, to be honest. Um, and the guy was much older. The guy was called Will Stone. Um, and he was the guy who sort of helped to, to bring about the whiskey. So there's echoes of Jack Daniels across the thing too. Who was this guy, Patrick Sweeney? He was another Irish immigrant. Was He was involved too. He, he was a distiller as well. Yeah, but he came a little bit later. Um, the, 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 the thing about it is this is a, as an evolution. The book the book's a little bit disjointed in that it, it tells different tales all the way through. So from day one, uh, the whiskey was aged. There was no fresh made whiskey. So it, it, it was always aged for quality. Um, the casks were stamped with an Irish harp. Okay, and it gives some really nice graphics in the book for this. So, so he wasn't really a moonshiner, was he? Trying to to move away from the the ready steady go stuff. Yeah, he was. He was wanting to add quality and add value to the whole thing. Um. And now, he 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 offered a, a variety of stuff. By by eighteen seventy two, he had he was selling whiskey for four dollars a gallon, um, for for age stuff, and later on it was. Or, it was two dollars fifty for 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 younger stuff, but it was always aged, which to us these days, I mean, by law it has to be aged. But back in the day, it didn't. You know, lots of people just sold whiskey, white lightning straight off the of the still, and just head it out the door. Now, one of the things that he was very um, during during the famine. Obviously, he was alive during the famine, and. His family, most of his family, were back in in Ireland, and he was one of the weird guys who, one of the very few guys, who actually sailed back to Ireland from the states to make sure his family was okay. He had money then. He, by this stage, he obviously had money, but his his masterstroke or his his, the time he came back to Ireland was in eighteen eighty one, and he set sail back because he was diagnosed with windy nerves. <laughs> I don't know what that is. So he he came back to Ireland, um, and he stayed for a couple of years. Now, by that stage, obviously his his offspring, his children were running the the the, the still. They're doing the business, and Patrick Sweeney was was doing a lot of the um the 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 distil, distilling, if you like. Um, they were at, in eighteen eighty two. They were only making ten barrels a day. Which is not an awful lot, really, when you think about it. Um, so it was this idea of keeping quality, not big volumes, keeping good quality, and and selling it for for a premium. Now, there is a, there is a story that um, while he was in Ireland, uh, an actress took some of his whiskey to to the Prince of Wales, which um, the. Probably would have ended up being. Um, was this the Irish actress that, that toyed around with the Prince of Wales, or is this a is this a good could, marketing story? Is it? it? Could, it's probably possibly a marketing story as much as anything else. But it, 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 all through that period, everything was touched by Queen Victoria, the royal family, 
you know, it was always seen as a brand of quality. So if you could get yourself associated with it in any way, it was always going to be, uh, be, be a big thing. If only that was the case today. Ah, if only, if only. <laughs> now, Henry McKenna himself died in, in 1893. Um, but the story carried on. The, the, the distillery kept going. Because well, he, he had three sons, uh, James, Daniel and Stafford. I wonder where he got the name Stafford from. Because there's a Staffordstown up that part of the country. That could very well have been. Um, I hadn't really thought of it, to be honest, but um, it could very well be. But then Stafford, Stafford's, as uh, a name I've heard before, there was was there not a, a Tory party minister called Stafford Cripps during the Second World War, or after M- the Second World War? Might have been, might have been. Something like that, anyway. Um, yeah. Now, again, he... After he died, obviously, the family took over and started to run it. Um, but the family never put all their eggs in one basket, so the distillery wasn't their only line of them. You know, they weren't massive scale, so they had different parts of operation. They still had the mill, and they did some, some other work as well. So, um, But obviously, this is uh, Mirrors Ireland. The distillers weren't actually the brands, uh, and his business content continued to grow until prohibition forced them to uh, to close down well the thing was they, they closed down they, they stopped production a little bit before prohibition um but they kept up the maintenance on the distillery which was you know it was quite rare because i mean what was the point in having keeping up the, the, the still if you weren't going to run it but they did because they obviously they they had a confidence that it was going to come back um and, and when it did actually come back, uh, some of the some of the whiskies actually made in an, in another uh, distillery for a period of time, but they made it in a, in such a way that it was at the quality that they regard it as being what they needed to do. Now, as I say, they, they, they there was this. Um, uh, continuity even though the distillery had shut they kept up the the, the 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 maintenance of the place keeping it all going um now his granddaughter writes a section of the book and she mentions foreigners and by foreigners she means people from from the east <laughs> you know they're not actually from a different they're, they're from a different state not a different country okay um and she took over some of the aspects of running it and this would, this would have been after Prohibition. And at that point, they were making about 50 barrels a day. Um, now, the, the Stitzel plant, the Stitzel distillery, they they had sort of borrowed the brand, if you like. They were the ones that said that they were that it was distilled in another distillery yeah, for a period. Of course, this was medicinal spirits, of course. Well, it was, but that, that was, they were quite happy to hand the brand back. So it kind of tells you, you know how how these people work. It wasn't cut through business as such. It was, mm-hmm. you know, they were they were, a, a fa- almost a community or a family of, of distillers. I mean, Pappy Van Winkle, um, which is probably the most collectible anyway. Uh, Kentucky bourbon certainly one of the the, the most famous, certainly the most expensive. Um, said they were great admirers of McKenna and McKenna's whiskey. 
Yes, I believe Julian Van Winkle briefly served as vice president of sales to help them get a reestablished. Sort of... Yeah. Um, the, the, the this stage, like all of these companies that are, are, are family orientated or family led, they the McKenna's had split and you know family had inherited bits and pieces and they were never really that interested in, in upscaling and turning it into massive volume um, so one part of the family sort of bought out the other part of the family um, and his granddaughter carried on for a while um, and she was the last sort of member of the family to, to still be running it now but there were there were no goats too. But were the the, the new the new how to do things didn't they? Because uh, they made it through the Great Depression. Absolutely, they, they they did. They made it through the Great Depression. They kept going, um, and the book the book, as I say, comes in sections, so it's a little bit disjointed because it's not one author. But as it carries on, um, there's a section of it. The chapter two is written in nineteen thirty eight, so they made it through the Great Depression. And it's written by James McKenna. Now, one of the interesting things in it, he talks about the type of still that was used back in the day. And it was a wooden still. And it was a three-chambered wooden still. How did I guess? Ah. Now, the way it was made was it was hewn out of, of wood, uh, poplar trees. And I have to just read this because I have to get this right. It was... It was known as the carrying over process. So do you remember when uh, we were talking to the Leopold brothers and they were saying about their still and having to find this? This is actually a still made of wood. That's uh, but the Leopold brothers is metal, but we have heard of these wooden stills before. Yeah. So the, I, I, th I thought it was it was interesting. And it would, it would be really, really nice to get a taste of what that style of whiskey is. I mean, I know there is wooden stills there's a couple of them still used in places but um a wooden three chamber still it would be it'd be very interesting to find out whether or not that that would ever be that could be created today it'd be, it'd be interesting to find if, see if you could ever find a drawing or a schematic for that now you're moving on through the book uh there was the third chapter of the book is it was written in 1896, so that's what I say. It's, it's it jumps forward and jumps, jumps, jumps forward and jumps back. back. Basically but, an but, but the anecdotal stories are, are fabulous. I mean, it, the big boys eventually get involved in this place. They do. They, they, they start to appear, um, certainly after after the place, the, the, the Fairfield Distillery is starting to close up. The brand extremely well respected, even today. Um, and these days, it's... Uh, owned by Heaven Hill. Now, to give you an idea of just how important Henry McKenna was, there's actually talk in 1892 of a Congress bill called the McKenna Bill. Um, and it, it deals with sort of fermentations and stuff. And they were very good at branding as well. That... The, they came in sort of white ceramic pots, you know, you know the classic sort of yeah Kentucky pots. They came with that, yeah. Well, you swig it over your thumb and and and, yeah. and, and lay it in your sh shoulder, sort of thing. And I say, you know, it's, it's it's that sort of sort of 
ceramic with the blue script on it. You know the way you got porcelain with, with blue uh, writing on it. It's, it's that kind of thing. It's 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 really quite um, quite an interesting uh, story. Now the book obviously tells you a lot more detail, and I'm not going to sit here and, and go over everything about it, but they they give you um, they they give you sort of chapter and verse about what even the mash bill is. So the mash bill was seventy five percent corn, thirteen percent rye, and twelve percent malted barley, which is quite an interesting mash bill. Um, as I say, it it it's very respectful. It tells you roughly how much was made. It tells you how the the the, the warehouses I mean the warehouses held. Uh, about eight thousand barrels, um, and it says here that they didn't sell anything under three years of age, which for a Kentucky bourbon is quite rare. Um, it talks about table whiskey, and it talks about you know the the type of still used. It talks about the mash bills, and it's really quite involved, and the whole thing. Is, is the book is well worth getting if you're interested in Kentucky bourbon um, I would say this is a book that you would be quite interested in because it covers a lot of bases does it? it does, it covers quite a lot of bases and there's little snippets in it that you certainly if you were uh, a, a um, I don't know, if a aficionado or a historian of well, bourbon, well, this a, would be something to, to read, you know? It's a bit like Six Degrees of Separation because Seagram get involved in this in 1941, but the family, they're very canny. They didn't sell the recipe for the whiskey. They only sold the brand and the, and the distillery. <laughs> yeah. Now, as I say, it, it was bought by Heaven, Heaven Hill and Seagram's in, in mm. the 1980s. Um, I actually have a bottle of, of the old um, Fairfield distillery uh, ceramic jug which you really pick up surprisingly cheap um, it would surprise you just how much they are um, I've never opened it because I had um, I've a, I've a little plan for it I, haven't, I don't have a huge amount of time but one of the things that I do find quite interesting is in one of the descriptions is it talks about a pure old lime sour mash now do you know the way you have uh, the Lynchburg method for uh, Jack Daniels where it gets filtered through um, char maple charcoal? Yes, that, that, a, that's where the majority of the flavour comes from, yeah. Well, it's, that's certainly part of it, but uh, it certainly purifies it. It's a filter system. Um, one of the things would be, you can actually do it with limestone as well. Uh, that has been used, and I imagine that's probably... Uh, what, what they mean by that so there's all these different elements that would be really interesting to, to get back to now McKenna's a few years ago the bottle that they released they release sometimes uh, Heaven Hill release uh, like individual year bottlings of it at times and one of the things that they did it, it won best bourbon in the world which is still it's interesting that this guy from Draperstown Went across to the US, picked up his knowledge, done it, kept the quality, and right the way through to today, he he maintains that. Now the house he was born in, or the building that he was born in, 
was the old Ulster Bank, and I don't know, I'm not sure, I haven't been down to Draperstown for a long time now, um, whether that's still, the building's certainly still there, I don't know whether it's the Ulster Bank, but that was the building he was born in. Quite a substantial building, so he probably came from a little bit of money, sort of lower middle class, middle class family. Um, but he went across to the US, did extremely well for himself, and it's just a nice connection between here and and over there, you know. Yeah, fantastic story, fantastic story indeed. So that's know. Henry McKenna, Kentucky's Draperstown born distiller, for the Ballinasreen Historical Society. Um, yeah. It's it's good that these old historical societies managed to put this stuff together before it's forgotten. I mean, it. How did they go about getting all this information, Marty? Does it uh, detail that, that? Doesn't really detail it. It gives just. It's 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 a slightly disjointed book with lots of little um, interesting bits and pieces in it. But there is reference at the back of it to the Kentucky Historical Society. I does imagine it, they probably played a fair part in it. Does it get to the part in 74 where they make their last whiskey at the, distil- the distillery in Fairfield? It, I see, it sort of skips over bits and pieces where, you know, you think these are really important, but they um, they, 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 <laughs> they, they don't, you know. It's, right. um, it gives reviews and stuff, you know, what people's reviews of it are. Um, Henry McKenna single barrel review by uh, different whiskey clubs and they talk and it's, it's, it's quite interesting in its own right but that's what I say the book's a little bit disjointed but if you are in, interested in in whiskey if you're interested in certainly in bourbon it's, it's a book that you'd probably want to pick up Exactly. And if you've liked this podcast, uh, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You'll hear one or two every week. And also, if you watch the live show on Facebook and YouTube, 10 p.m. Uh, GMT or British Summertime, Saturday nights, and also repeat on Instagram and on LinkedIn. It's Irish Whiskey Review. Thank you very much, Marty. Take care, guys. Take care. <laughs>